A couple announcements. If you guys have your Bibles, open them up already for 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Hey, if you're new to our experience, I want to just encourage you in bringing a Bible with you to church. Um, We have Bibles that are loaners until you you can get one. I tease, if you don't have one, go on Amazon right now. I use a New King James Study Version Bible. There's lots of great versions of the Bible. We can have that discussion in private if you'd like, but I don't twist hairs on which version. I like lots of different versions. Um, I happen to just use the New King James Version. Um, So if you want to be word for word with me, buy a New King James Version. If you go on Amazon right now and you order it, when you get home from lunch today, it'll be on your doorstep. Um, if, you, if we'll give you a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, the one that's a loaner, keep that. That's our gift to you. If, um, if you just forgot yours at home, then put it back on the table when you're done. But, you know, it, it'll encourage your, it'll enhance your experience here in church if you're reading along with me. You know, you read through the verses. Because a lot of times I'm, I'm, I read the verse quick and I talk a lot about it. But if you're, if you're reading it with me as I read, it'll help keep it in context. And I think it'll really encourage um, the way that we study and read the Bible together. We feel here in our church that the Word of God is is fully inspired, an infallible, inerrant Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, and that our lives are molded and changed through the Word of God, and that's how we grow and change, and that's how we get to know about our God. The more we learn about our God, the Lord Jesus, the greater, the greater that we will be in love with Him. So we're ready for 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Before we do, a couple announcements. How many of you guys noticed the parking has got a little busy? So Verges has moved in next door. They're open. We had the Brothers, but the Brothers was closed on Sunday mornings. Verges is open on Sunday mornings. They're very busy. Sunday morning is their big day, their big breakfast. And so we're having um, a, lot of, a lot of cars in our parking lot. They came over um, before they got started, and they're like, hey, we don't have this parking lot thing's going to work. And you guys parking. It turns out they're parking in our parking lot more than we are in theirs. But uh, maybe we should be serving hotcakes instead of, instead of preaching. We'd be filling the parking lot a little faster. But so just, just be patient, please. One of the solutions that we have, we want to be good neighbors too. That's always our heart is to try to be good neighbors. It works nine times out of ten because we're not here when they're here and vice versa. Um, December, when we get to December, we're really going to have a problem when the post office is working in those, that December month. But we'll figure that out. But the housing authority is this bre- uh, red brick building right behind us here in the alley. Um, there's 24 spots over there. Um, Jackie works there and she talked to her boss and she said we can park there on Sunday mornings. I know it's a little bit of a walk. But if you're healthy and you don't mind, I would, I would ask you to use those spots back there at the housing authority and then leave the spots that are closer for elderly and people that are maybe not as easily mobile to, to get around. But if you're, if you're healthy and you're in good shape, um, if you don't mind, again, we, we um, park in the housing authority. We can, we can park anywhere around the Elks Lodge. They're not here on Sunday mornings. They use our parking lot a couple times a week. So, again, we have a friendly relationship with them. So on Sundays we can park on the other side. Um, we can park wherever you can park on either side of the barrier there because that's just the crossover that it is. But, um, again, maybe having some of us that are willing to park in the housing authority, uh, maybe some by the Elks Lodge behind the Elks Lodge, that's, that'll help. I'm going to get out some, uh, um, signs. I think we're going to put some signs out that will encourage our folks to park on our side and their folks to park on their side just for Sunday morning. So, um, bear with us in that, um, until we can. And again, you guys, one of our hearts is that we want to um, have the pre- preferred parking for our guests and for um, people that need it, the elderly and people that aren't as mobile as, as we are, is really our heart. You know, and if somebody, especially if somebody's new, it's frustrating the first time you show up, you can't find a place to park and, you know, they may not even stay. And so I know that whole deal where you cater to the new people and the people that have been here get the shaft, I get it. But you can deal with it. You're grown people. You can handle it. 
Um, we we want to be loving and encouraging. And then once they've been here for a few weeks, we'll make them park over at the Housing Authority, okay? Hey, we've been donated. Uh, Calvary Chapel was given 40,000 cases of hand sanitizer. So as, as you'll notice as you walk in and out on the right, there's a couple cases of hand sanitizer. That's free to you guys, as much of it as you want. If you need it for your business, take a case. Um, if you want more, uh, I think we have about 39,000 cases left. Um, it kind of came through the Food for Families ministry, but it came from a different avenue. And so the people that, that donated to Calvary Chapel said this stuff can be sold. So if you you know, know somebody that's in marketing or can, can sell this stuff, the church can use the money. Um, we haven't been able to really figure out how to sell that stuff, you know, and so we're just giving it away right now. But if, if that's somewhere in your wheelhouse and you could bless the church and we could give you 10,000 cases of hand sanitizer and you could turn them into cash, uh, let me know. But we, we have that. So take as much of that stuff as you want. Um, how many Food for Families boxes did you pick up this morning? 120 um, food boxes today. Last week, you guys were awesome. Everybody grabbed boxes. They went quick. So thank you so much. I know sometimes that stuff is, is, is work and, you know, especially if you're, you're taking it home. Again, I encourage you guys, don't feel like it's not for you or you don't need it. It, it is for you. You're welcome to it. Please take a box or two home for yourself and then take an extra box, pass it out, give it to a neighbor, let the Lord use it. Um, Diane's not in here right now. A couple weeks ago, um, we had extra boxes and Diane was, was, was wrapping up. And so I, I asked her to take those. She said, oh, I'll take them. She took like six boxes. And um, of all, you know, she said, I'll just go figure out something. So she's, she's driving down Main Street, and I don't know why. Diane's just weird, I guess, you know. No, I'm just kidding. She decided to stop at the pawn shop. So she goes into the pawn shop there, that blue pawn shop, like on 4th. And, she, and randomly, randomly, Sunday afternoon, she walks into the pawn shop, and she says, hey, my church has given out a bunch of food boxes. We had extras. Would anybody be blessed by a food box? And she said this woman burst into tears. And she said, I was just praying and asking God for food for my family. And you walked in. Just, just God, you know. And, and how random of all the places she could have went in town to try to get rid of those food boxes. Like, if my stomach's growling, I'm probably going to go to Walmart and do this real quick, you know. But anyways, God, God can do those kind of things. And again, you prophesy according to your faith. So that means step out in faith a little bit. Let God do something miraculous um, and use that food ministry. Uh, it has a little invite card in there. Uh, one thing we, we, we encourage and don't require, but as you give them out, just say to folks, can I pray for you? And offer, you know, a, just a prayer of blessing over them. Amen? Amen. Lots of fruits do that, so we encourage that. Hey, ladies, 6.30 this uh, Tuesday night, you're all invited to ladies' study. And then um, I have made a final decision. And so on April 6th, I will be going to uh, the Philippines, Sam is going to be going with me, and Scooter is um, still up in the air, but possibly three of us from here. We've been announcing this Philippines missions trip from the 6th to the 16th. Um, it's a work trip for the men this time, and um, we, we're, we're going to go. If anybody, um, men still want to go or God's been putting it on your heart, you'd have this week to decide, um, but it still is open if somebody was, was, has been praying about going or not. Um, for me, Pastor Gerald is going to be in Uganda at the same time I'm in the Philippines, and he wants me to leave the Philippines and, and meet him in Uganda for a couple of days and see the mission that we're doing. We're, we're putting a Bible college. Pastor Gerald personally is putting a Bible college, a Calvary Bible Institute. He's building one in Uganda. And so one of the things that we're trying to do as a church 
Um, and I've been, I've been hope, hopefully some of you guys will remember me giving you this speech. But in November of last year, I stood on this stage and I popped off some confetti. And on that Sunday, I told everybody that we had just finished a building project here. And we just came out of a season where we were spending every dollar and everything we had to finish our building project, pay our bad debts. You know, and, and now we've come out of that season. God has miraculously paid all of our debts. We now have a better income um, as, as opposed to debt. And what I said on that Sunday was that I really felt like as the church matures and grows, we planted in 2013, uh, we were about seven, eight years old, that we, we would want to at some point, and we've always done it to a little degree, but at some point we would want to get into doing some foreign missions. Missions, period. Whether we do them here in the United States or whether we do them in foreign countries. And, and part of the reason for that is because if you sign up and go on a foreign missions trip, it will absolutely change your life as a believer. Two things, doing missions and going to Israel. Those things will absolutely change your life as a believer, as a Christ follower. You know, they say going to Israel, one trip to Israel is worth a year of Bible college. And, and the other thing is that when you go, and especially for young people, you guys, you have teenagers in your home, you want to see their lives change for Jesus, bring them with you on a missions trip. Let, it, let them serve Jesus that way and see the need. And sometimes, you know, we used to do uh, local trips where in the church I was in before with the youth and um, youth group and even elementary to some degree uh, to Mexico because it was close, it was convenient, we could go down for a weekend and serve. But, but lives were changed. I mean, you go five minutes past the border and you're in San Diego, one of the richest places in all the world and houses on the hills and the beach and yachts. And you go five minutes past the border and you're in Tijuana, Mexico, where literally they live in um, what are garage doors that were in America that we shipped down. And they built a, a house out of, out of five garage doors or six garage doors with no bathroom inside and dirt floors. And, and for the kids to see these things and, you know, and, and meet needs and, and for us to identify and see these things, it's life-changing. Missions can really be life-changing. I'll just warn you, though, wherever you go, your heart's going to fall in love with that place. So be careful and make sure that God leads you. Um, so anyways, we have, um, and this is not Mission Sunday, so I'm not, i, I got to stop because i got a bunch of other stuff to do today. But, um, but I've been praying and asking God and definitely have felt confirmation from the Lord that, that we're going to be doing this. Part of uh, what we'll do is um, try to identify some places in these opportunities that we have to where we can organize um, in the future some missions trip for within our church. Amen? Raise your hand if you feel like maybe one day you'd go on a 10-day, on a 11-day foreign mission. Hey, we got some folks that would be interested. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, all right. So I wish I could spend more time. We will, we will on Sunday maybe spend more time. But hey, pray for me. Pray for Sam. Pray for Scooter. Pray for uh, the extended uh, trip to the Philippines. And then, um, you know, we'll be in touch. We're, we're going to do um, maybe some um, minor fundraising for that trip to help um, uh, those that, that want to go. And so that we can also give some money. Because one of the, one of the uh, visions and missions that we're going to do, I'll just tell you real quick. The Philippines is a threefold mission. We, we do evangelism through the Jesus film. And there's a guy who's been all over the world. He's been, I don't know, on 100 missions trips, um, 70-something years old, doing the Jesus film. Led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ through this Jesus film all over the world. He's going with us on this trip. So he, we bring this equipment to do the Jesus film, and it's always in the language of where we're going. So the Jesus film is done in, I don't know, 700 different languages. So we set up at night on a projector. We invite the town, the people. We show the Jesus film, and the Jesus film gives them the gospel in their own language. 
and then we share the gospel. We, we invite people to come to Jesus, and then we give the equipment that we use to a pastor. We try to identify a pastor um, in the area that's doing evangelism already, has a heart. We, we equip him, and we teach him how to do this Jesus Film Outreach, and then when we leave, he can then travel to all the different remote villages and places and share the gospel through the Jesus Film. So that's first part of the mission. The second part of the mission is we do a pastoral training um, where we invite all the pastors. And here we have, you know, a lot of denominations and a lot of rub. Over there, it's a little different. You don't have as much. They'll all come. And so we train the pastors. We do a pastor's conference right now. There's flyers on the ground that's announcing our coming and inviting pastors and people to come to a training seminar. And basically, we keep it simple. We train them why and how to teach through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We give them study Bibles in their language. We teach them how to use them and read them because so much of the teaching is they, they don't know how to teach. They don't, they don't believe or they just, so it's all topical and it's just whatever they can come up with. And, and so just teaching them that they can teach right through the word of God and giving them the gifts and the skills they need. We use Blue Letter Bible. We use different apps if they have that capability. And then the third part of this mission is there's um, buildings that have been damaged in Typhoon. They're brick buildings and we're going to be... Um, um, fixing these buildings. And so we, we're not bringing any tools or materials. We're going to buy them when we get there. So we'll be buying bricks and the tools that we need and spending most of our days during the day working, uh, restoring these buildings that will be used for church and children's ministry facilities while we're there. Amen? All right, we'll talk more about that later. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. All right, chapter 5 and 6, where we've come from as, as a church in the last three weeks, two weeks, was chapter 7, 6 of 2 Corinthians is a call to salvation. We ended last week with a call to salvation. Praise the Lord, right? We had some folks respond that, that came to the call to salvation. Chapter 7 is a call to repentance. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, call to repentance. No, let's do that better. Look at your neighbor and say, repent, you sinner! <laughs> Tell him this. Tell your neighbor, turn or burn! <laughs> so 7... Don't let it get lost in the hype. Chapter 7 is a call to repentance. So a call to salvation, a call to repentance. And then listen, I'm going to warn you now, chapters 8 and 9 are all about money, okay? So the church doesn't need money, and, but I am going to preach for the next two weeks of all about money because that's what the Bible is teaching. I'm just going to read the verses. I'm going to tell you what they say, and we are going to talk about money. So if your best friend that you've been inviting every week, but they won't come... Because they say, oh, only church wants money. Every time I go to church, all they're going to do is talk about money. Don't bring them the next two weeks, okay? Because all I'm going to do is talk about money for a couple weeks. If that makes you uncomfortable, then, then go to Starbucks or something the next couple Sundays. Um, no, don't do that. But I just want to warn you. I just want to be out front. And, and again, read ahead. Read chapters 8 and 9. Um, it's probably the most concise, um, thorough discussion on tithing, giving, money, period in the New Testament, and we'll be covering that as the scripture covers it. Okay, so chapters five and six, call to salvation. Chapter seven, where we are today, is what? Call to, did you forget already? Okay, let's look at what Paul says. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to do what? Ask what it's there for. Therefore is an application word. Therefore is, hey, this is all the information that I'm giving you. Therefore, this is how you apply it to your life. This is practical Christian living. 
And so I love that about the Word of God, about God, not about Paul as he writes to, and Paul being very intellectual and very cerebral, type A personality, and um, he can write these things that are difficult to understand, but I love that he takes these pauses and gives us a therefore. Therefore, this is how you practically um, apply it to your lives. So let's look what Paul says. So we got those um, um, verse from last week. And really, I think the therefore comes out of this call to salvation Um, Verse 17 of the last chapter, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. You know what the word holiness means? It means separated one. It means to separate yourself from the world. Listen, look at me. Jesus said you are in this world, but not of this world. And and that you're to live your life separate. If you you are in a circle of secular people and, and there's no difference between you and them, that's not good. That's not normal. If you are facing persecution and you don't quite fit in, you're right where you're supposed to be because you're in this world and not of this world. But if you can hang out with your secular friends and, and, and there's, there's no rub, then, then there's a problem because we're to come out of this world, he says. And I'm not saying, you know, some people think that that, that that means as a Christian, you just have to be awkward and weird. No, that's not the case at all. We're, we're not to have, you know, we studied last week, um, and I spent a lot of time on it. it was a, remember what the tough subject was last week? <clears throat> Do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. But, but if that doesn't mean that you can never be a friend or be around unbelievers. How are we going to share the gospel with unbelievers if we exclude ourselves from them? That's not what God is calling. You know, I really don't see anywhere in the scriptures where God calls us as Christians to isolate ourselves and not be around the world and not let the world touch us and not let the world affect us. And, 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 you know, go, go get an island or move to Montana and dig a hole and, 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 and store guns and food. And, and don't let anything outside of the Christian things touch us. I, I just don't find that in the Word of God. We're, you know, the whole thing about the, the guns and foods and the world preppers, I'm like, okay, you're a Christian. You're storing guns and food. Your neighbor's a heathen, and he didn't do all that. And then he comes over because he's hungry. What are you going to do with those guns? Are you going to shoot him in Jesus' name? Die, my food. You know, like, you're going to have to give it all away anyways because you're a Christian, right? Like, so just trust Jesus and forget all that stuff. Instead of storing guns and food, sleep in, take a nap. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus liked to take naps. You know, and, and he, listen. Yeah, yeah, my, my theology, and this is, this is serious now. I, and I can never tell you how, but listen, the rapture is going to happen before you're going to need those guns and ammo. That Jesus is going to come for his church prior to the great tribulation period. And, 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 and really, you know, Jesus told us, when you see all these terrible things happen in the end of the world, and there's three-part questions that disciples ask in Matthew 24, Jesus' answer was, when you see these things, lift your eyes, your redemption draws nigh. Now, one of two things just happened. Either Jesus blew that answer, or that's what he expects from you. Did he blow it? Was that his opportunity to tell you to store guns and ammo and food and alternative currencies and this and that? And that, and that? He didn't do any of that. No, you won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Now, if you do those things, guns and ammo and food and alternate currencies and all those things, God bless you. I think that there's a wisdom in, in having some basic provisions and, and some things because it doesn't have to be the rapture. It could be anything. You know, Texas just had four days of no power and, and freezing. And there's, there's things that are natural disasters. But... You know, when, when, read Revelation chapter 6. And when hailstones the size of Volkswagen are falling on houses, 
and the earth is shaking and, and the, the, the ocean is, is, is came from over Washington all the way to Wyoming, I don't know how much a gun ammo are going to help you in that situation, okay? What help, what's going to help you much better is to put your knees on the ground and ask God for mercy before the wave hits you. So I don't know where all that came from. That's not in the notes. Come, come out from among them and be separate. I guess that's what it was, and I went off on a tangent. It says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean. Everybody say, don't touch. And I will receive you. You know what? There's an if and clause there. Don't touch it and then I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Somebody say hallelujah. I will be a father to you, God says, and you will be my sons and my daughters. Hallelujah. Therefore, verse one, therefore, listen, therefore, having these promises of verse 18 and 17, beloved, let us, everybody say, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Jesus perfected holiness. He was in the world, but not of the world. He was a friend of sinners, but anything that, that he did, he didn't let them taint what, who he was and what he did. You know, like young people, they want to go to a party. You know, can your young people go to a party and not let the party affect them? Can they not let the gathering change them? Are they going to go there and change the atmosphere around them? Are you a thermostat or a thermometer? A thermostat sets the temperature. Jesus was a thermostat. He set the temperature where he went. And yes, he was a friend of sinners. But he wasn't a thermometer. He didn't let the temperature affect him and, 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 and go up and down based on the circumstance. And as Christians, we're, we're live fish swimming upstream. Any dead fish can float downriver. And so we're to be separate. And Jesus perfected holiness. Holiness means separated ones. Jesus said, I've called you out of this world to be separate unto me. You know, that can be something simple in your life where you, you separate yourself from the things of the world. You separate your, your things from the, the, you know, before I went to Bible college, after I became a Christian. And I was hanging out with these two guys, Christian guys that I, that I had met. And, and it was in the Pulp Fiction that had just come out. And we were hanging out and they threw Pulp Fiction on. And I tried not to make a big deal of it. I didn't want to send a message that I was better or holier than them. But I'm like, I'm not watching that trash. And, and I just removed myself, left, went in the other room, waited till you know, it was over, and didn't necessarily judge them and tell them they were sinners and going to hell. But I, I separated myself in situations in life where we're to be separate from the world and the things of the world, and we separate ourselves from those things. And so Jesus perfected that holiness. Now, I love where it says perfecting holiness because, again, in order to perfect it, we do have to be around the world. You are called to be among non-believers and among the lost. You know, in last week's message, when I really hammered um, this verse that says, do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers, I focused on relationships and marriage and, and, and dating and those things. But I want to tell you, there's a little bit of a crossover that I didn't get to that I, that I should cover this week, in that that same idea applies to business. Do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. You want to see a train wreck in the making? You know, you go into business with somebody that's not a Christian. Oh, well, it's just business. That's business. Well, no, what happens when your, your non-believing business partner wants you to cheat on the year-end taxes for your company? When, when, when things are going, you know, in a different direction and you guys just have a different mindset, can light and darkness dwell together? They can't. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that if you have a boss that's not a Christian, you're going to go quit your job. That's that's different that different deal. Partnership and, and an employment is a different deal. Most of us probably work for non believers or non believing companies. That's that's part of being 
you know, in the world but not of it. But don't enter into partnerships or relationships with non-believers because we're to be holy or separated in the fear of God. Listen, our world is wicked. The God of this world, little g, he's running amok. And, and he's pretty good at what he does. You know, Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to salvation, and few will find it, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so Satan, all he has to do to win is get you in any one of the lanes of the freeway that are broad and that lead to destruction. Jesus has to get you onto that one lane that leads to salvation. So it doesn't matter. Satan doesn't have to get you to believe in atheism or evolution or, or, or anything. It doesn't matter. It's just any, any lane on the freeway. In our home church, they just started a series called the Conquering Series, and it's for porn addiction and addiction to um, other things, specifically porn, because porn addiction is such an epidemic in the churches in America. And it's such a temptation. Pastor Gerald's teaching the class, and I spoke with him on the phone this week, and he told me in the research that he did, and I I don't know about these numbers, but in the research that he did, they're saying that 100% of teenage boys are are accessing porn. I don't think probably everything's 100%, but the number is super. Because nowadays, it's in your pocket. It's easily accessible. And, and that it's such an epidemic. I can't tell you, you know, the, the, it's, it's changed. As a pastor, you know, Jesus said there's only one reason for divorce. And that one, one um, path, I don't know what the right word is, for divorce that's not sin in the, in, the, in the area of adultery, if one is cheated on the other. But now as a pastor, I'm finding myself more and more having to help Ladies walk through and, and they want to know, is their husband's porn addiction make him guilty of, of that same fornication that Jesus gave an excuse for? And oftentimes I'm telling him, nowadays I'm saying, yes, he's guilty of the same. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm not talking about somebody who stumbled across some pictures and looked at him. Or I'm talking about somebody who is so addicted to pornography that they haven't slept with their wife for the last five years. Because they would rather wait for her to go to bed. And what happens that's so tragic in, these, in, 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 this, in this area is that you get to the point where a real life person doesn't do it for you anymore. You cannot get aroused with a real life person. And it's dangerous. And it's in the church. And it's a real temptation. Pastor Gerald, again, he was telling me in his Conqueror series, he said, do you know where the advertising and, and all of the, 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 the push is from the porn industry? Where it's addressed at, it's addressed at 13-year-olds. And they want to get them young. And, 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 and it's a mass epidemic. And I'd encourage you as parents, it's something that you should probably check in with your children about, something that I'm doing this week with my teenage boys. And, and you know, talking to them about it and, and finding out and, and loving them through it. And it's a real addiction and it's a real trouble. You know, do they have access to the Internet alone in their bedroom? You know, I can remember, I remember 10 years ago, saying, you know, don't have teenagers with access to the Internet alone in their room. That's crazy if you do that. But nowadays, they, they all have phones. How do you stop that? What do you do, not let them go with their phone anywhere where they're alone? You can't, you can't do it. We put blocks on their phones. You know, they, they can't access certain things. On, but there's ways around all that stuff. They're, they're so much smarter than we are. But it has to be a heart. But know that, that it doesn't make you bad either. It's, it's, it's a real temptation and problem. And it's effective. We, we actually bought that same series, the Conqueror series. And so, you know, at some point as God opens the door, we, we may go through it as well. And, and it's not just for 
you know, it's like, it, how, do you, how, do you, how do you sell a class called the Conqueror Series that's for addiction to porn? I'll sign up. <laughs> oh, he's addicted to porn. You know, it, so it, it is. It gets a little rough. Maybe something that they, but so we, we try to invite everybody. We try to encourage parents to come. And, and it's not only just about um, that addiction. It could cover any kind of bondage that's in your life. But again, you know, understand this as Christian men. That it is, it is sin. And it will destroy your life. They say that it's more addicting than heroin. It's powerful. And, it, and it's, again, it's, it's one of the tools that the enemy's using. You know? and, and dads, you can, you can check in with your kids and check on them. But if you're the one that's bringing that stuff into your house, you're bringing a spirit into your house that's going to prevail. And you've got to be on your guard. You've got to be careful. And again, there's no condemnation. There's just a real call to repentance. Just a call to say, hey, these are the things, these are the tools that Satan are using and that are effective. I'd love to say, oh, no, nobody in my church. No, we're Christians here. We know that's trash. But you know what? It's, it, it's in the church. It's a problem. And we got, we got again, we got to lovingly deal with that in our church, in our marriages, in our lives. Um, you know, I, I feel like I want to say something to you, ladies. If your husbands are struggling in that area, to um, have some grace to because you don't understand it and I get that and I know that it feels like betrayal and, and it can be but the, the, the temptation the real temptation is, is a power that, that, that your husband may be under that is not who he is and not what he wants but a power has a hold of him because it's addicting and it, it releases certain endorphins and things in your brain that, that become very addictive and that has to be dealt with and so we don't accept it you don't tolerate it, but you have to be graceful and loving and challenging in helping and understanding that that's a temptation that as ladies you probably don't face, but as men is a real, real, real temptation. And then as men, you have to, you have to stand up and you have to repent and you have to ask God for help. We're going to um, do a little extended time of worship here in about seven minutes. I'm going to finish what I can do in seven minutes. And then, um, not only on this topic, please, please, just across the board, um, we're going to just do, like, instead of the one song we do at the end, we're going to end early, and we're going to do about two or three songs, and we just want folks to seek God in here together. We're going to have some of the leaders and pastors available to pray for folks, and you can come up to them. I'm going to ask those that are praying to, to approach you. Say, what? What you talking about, Willis? Listen, if somebody comes to you, don't think it's weird. They're going to say, can I pray for you? Because we're not going to wait for you to get out of your seats and come for us. We only got three songs. So you can do that. But if God or the Holy Spirit puts it on our heart or on our mind, and one of the pastors and leaders just, just feels like they want it's, it's no judgment. It's nothing. It's a good thing. And they're just going to say to you, hey, can I pray for you? And encourage us to pray for one another as we go through this. And then, um, um, you know, same thing along the same lines. Drugs, alcohol. Again, do you, know where, do you know where beer commercials, the target age for beer commercials? Same thing as the porn industry, 13 years old. They're targeted at kids. The beer industry has decided that by the time somebody is 21, 22, 23, 26 years old, they've already decided what kind of beer they want to drink. So we're going to target the ads and, and the advertising at our 13-year-olds because they still haven't decided what kind of beer they're going to drink. And so this stuff is, is kid-oriented. You know, everybody in those beer commercials, they've never actually drinking beer. You don't look like that and you drink a lot of beer. <laughs> it's not reality. 
So God says, come out, let us, look, look at verse 7, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 1, chapter 7, let us, ourselves, ourselves, let us, ourselves, do we cleanse ourselves? No, God cleanses us, the Holy Spirit, but listen, this is what God is telling you. In this chapter, you're going to see this term, ourselves, yourself, you'll read that as you go through here. There's a call on your part to step up, show up, and allow God to heal you. Maybe you, maybe you won't do that because you like your sin, and you don't want to give it up. And you're not ready. You won't come to that point. You will not receive or experience repentance. You will not experience fruit from that repentance until you can do your part and come to God and say, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. God, I want to change. God, this is a destroying sin. It could be whatever sin. I'm not just talking about one sin that we address. I'm talking about sin in general in our lives. They're destroying you. Do you know why sin is sin? This is important. Did God decide one day... Um, as he was creating man in the universe, did he come up with a list of things and he said, okay, I'm going to address these things. I'm going to call these things bad and these things good. And I don't want people to do these things and these things are okay. And so we follow this list of good and bad because God arbitrarily decided. Is that the way it went down? No. As a father, these are the things that will destroy your life. And so God doesn't want you to be a part of them. Raise your hand as a loving parent if if you want to introduce your kids or, or have your kids smoke crack in your house. No, it's not allowed. We don't do that. It's wrong. Why? Because you're just a terrible parent and you don't want to let somebody enjoy that? No, because it'll destroy your life. It's terrible. And these things that will destroy your life, God forbids. And God says, no, but it's because he loves you. It's because these things will destroy your life. And you'll find more joy as you come away from those things and walk away from those things. In verse 2, he says, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I, did, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul is encouraging, again, the Corinthian church in his love. He wrote some things to them that were difficult, and, and, and there was a strained relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. And he's been spending time, as you guys know, as we've walked through this verse by verse, he's trying to fix this, and he wants to do life with them. And I love what it says here, because he says, Look, he says, to die together and to live together. Fellowship, do life together. Part of what God wants for us as a local church is for us to live together and die together. For me as a local pastor, I'm to do hospital calls and marry and bury and baby dedications and baptisms. And we do life together and we serve together. And for you guys that, that, that you do life together, I want to challenge you here in our church. Go out to lunch with somebody that you haven't never spent a, a met before. Or maybe somebody you've met, and it's a lot of high and buys, and maybe you've got their name by now. It's like the 27th Sunday, so you finally remembered their name. Invite them to lunch this afternoon after church. Invite them out to dinner. Invite them to your house. Find somebody. Identify somebody. Don't come to church every week, week in, week out, and never give of yourself and extend it. You're shy personality. I get it. You know, but you've you got to step out, reach out, or pray that God would have somebody. If you're just dying to go, but you're embarrassed to invite or talk to somebody, ask God to have someone approach you. But, but, but do those things where, we, where you start to meet people here in our church, and, and you've got you to be willing to step out. But as we do life together, again, these things are biblical. These things will encourage our, our daily walks and our, our walks with the Lord. And then he says um, in verse 4, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. How in the world could Paul boast on the Corinthians? What was he saying? They were, this church was full of trouble and sin. 
But Paul saw their heart and they were growing and they were coming to repentance. And these things, these hard, hard things that Paul was writing them about, they were addressing them and they were fixing them. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly, look at your neighbor and say, exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. This is a biblical concept. And this will preach exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. Paul said, man, we've had all kinds of trouble. It's been rough waters here. Actually, there's not another pastor on planet Earth that would have stayed here. Paul said, you're lucky you got me. Nobody would tolerate you guys. This this has been trouble. And he said, I'm exceedingly joyful in the tribulation we went through. It's produced patience and it's produced maturity and growing and repentance and, and, and a depth of character in you that wouldn't have happened otherwise. You know, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, tribulation. Raise your hand if you guys have that as a bumper sticker on the back of your car. You have it as a flower magnet on your fridge. It's one of the promises of God. In this life, you will have tribulation. Listen, do you know what the weakness is of, of, of some of the, the, the what, what do they call the prosperity gospel, the American gospel? God's will for your life is to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. You know what's so dangerous if you believe that? Is that when you face hardship, your faith crumbles. I've watched it happen too many times. God is faithful regardless of your circumstance. You have to establish that now. Listen, forget what's going to happen to you tomorrow or the next day. You establish today that God is good and he has your best interest at hand. And if, if you do face trials and tribulations, somehow by the grace and the, and the miracle of God that you could experience joy in tribulation. You could, you could find the joy of, of doing life with Jesus and that it's, it's not always roses in Disneyland. And there's joy. And that's crazy, right? Like, like that's the goal of life as far as I'm concerned. To be the type of person that can have joy in this life regardless of my circumstance. You can't touch me with a 10-foot pole. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you throw at me. You bring your tomatoes next week and huck them at me. No, don't do that. I hate tomatoes. Throw like kiwis or something. Those are good. But again, regardless of egg on the face and whatever happens in, in your life that you find this position of joy. And then so, so he has this joy in tribulation. And he says in verse five, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were, com- were conflicts. Inside were conflicts. Does that sound like your life? If it does, don't whine. Let, you know, you're not going to stand up to Paul. Be encouraged. Find joy in Jesus. Jesus loves you. And then he says, um, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, verse 6 is so good. Listen. God who comforts. Who brings comfort in your life? God. Do you remember um, in chapter 2, verse 1, we studied this a couple weeks ago, where it said that the comfort by which you're comforted, that God would require you call you to use that comfort to comfort others. So God brings the comfort. But in this verse, how did God, what did God use to bring the comfort in this situation? A person. He used Titus. He brought Titus and Titus brought good news and joy to Paul. 
And so, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't let us off the hook as, as Christ followers that it's never our responsibility to come into somebody else's life and bring them joy and, and encourage them and love on them. Because maybe you're the avenue that God wants to use to bring comfort to somebody else. But God ultimately brings the comfort, but sometimes he uses people. Amen? And then it says in verse 7, And not only by, this, by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. For even if I made you sorrow, sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow, everybody, led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss, from us in nothing for godly sorrow produces patience leading to salvation amen not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death so um as the worship team comes up i'm going to preach these last kind of section here so it says paul says sorry not sorry he says i regretted it but i didn't regret it you guys ever do that you ever send an email that's the worst right because when you hit send there's no getting it back you know, if you write a letter, you could like drive around in your truck and try to find the post office guy and get the letter back or something. But, or, or when you say something out of your mouth, there's, there's no retracting it. But so Paul says like, oh man, I, I had to say some very hard things to you. And, and, and I was sorry that I said those things. But now he says, but sorry, not sorry, because what happened was you received that difficult message and your heart changed, you repented. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry that I had to say those difficult things to you. You know, if, if I come to you and I say, hey, you are full of pride. Pride, pride is the same sin that Satan fell with. It's a besetting sin. And you're, you've got pride issues. <laughs> How difficult would that be for me? I wouldn't want to bring that message to any of you. Say, God tells me, hey, come and tell this person, you know, or, or deal with this issue. And it's hard. I'm, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. But if you come back in a week and you say, Pastor, you know what? You're absolutely right. God's been convicting me, and I've repented. I'm like, oh, sorry, not sorry. Like, I, I'm glad I told you, or I'm glad that I was obedient in, in, in passing that message. And that, that's what Paul is saying. Now, listen to what he says. He says, rejoice that you were made sorry um, in repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner. Okay? So this godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Now, I want to tell you that the thing about repentance Psalm, Psalm 51, write that down. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, both of David's reflections on repentance. When you want to teach somebody how to truly repent, you teach through the life of David because he set the standard for repentance because he was such a sinner. He had, he had a lot to repent from. Nathan comes to King David and he says to King David, there was a man in your kingdom and he was very wealthy, and he had all kinds of sheep, and he had a neighbor that had one little ewe lamb. And that neighbor loved that little ewe lamb so much it slept with him in his bed at night. And the rich man was having a party, and instead of killing one of his hundreds of sheep, he went next door, and he stole that one little ewe lamb out of that guy's bed, and he killed it, and he served it to his guests. What should we do with that rich man, David? Nathan the prophet says. And Nathan was in, or David was indignant, and he said, he should surely die which was not the law of Moses. The guy should have paid back twofold and that, but David was upset because his own sin was being reflected. 
And then David says to Nathan, who is that guy? And Nathan looks at David and says this famous line in the Bible. Anybody? You the man now, dog. Exactly what he said. That's what it came from. You are that man. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon David because it was because of his sin with Bathsheba. He knew it was talking about him, and he wrote Psalm 51. And his heart was broken. Not that he got caught, but that he broke God's heart. You go to prison right now, lots of people are sorry they got caught and not sorry they did it, not sorry that they are not repentant in that God, I'm sorry. As we confess our sins to God, the Bible says if you're faithful and just to confess your sins, God will be faithful and just to forgive your sins. In Matthew, Jesus says to a woman, or she says, if you are willing, be clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be well, be forgiven. Listen, Jesus is willing today to touch you, to heal you, to forgive you. All you have to do is ask. We're going to sing, I guess now it's 1029, about two songs. We're going to spread out around the room just a little bit, some of the leaders and pastors. And, and um, the first thing I want to do, let's stand together. I'm going to ask us all, because you know what in your life you need to do to get right with God. So for the first 30 seconds, 45 seconds, I'm going to ask you all to pray out loud. Maybe not so your neighbor can hear you out loud, but pray yourself. And I want you to repent and ask God what it is that if you don't know, maybe ask God what it is in your life that that you need to ask forgiveness for. Okay? And then Josh and Amber, Dave and Shannon, and then Damien and Christine um, are going to spread out a little bit. And if you would like individual prayer, if you want to have hands laid on you, if you want to be anointed with oil for physical healing, any type of prayer request, any kind of prayer need that you have, that we would like to pray for you during this time. We would like to um, encourage you. If you have a struggle that you've been asking God to forgive you of and to heal you of and to change you of and you're not finding victory, please come out of your seat and find one of these prayer people and just say, will you pray for me? You don't necessarily have to tell them everything. Just they'll know. God will know. And they're going to pray for deliverance and healing and try to encourage you in this time. But listen, this is a time where I'm not letting anybody leave just let. That's why I put the big dude up there by the door. So he's not going to let anybody out. At at least two or three minutes. Maybe by the end of the next song, if you really got to go. But let's, let's, let, let's let as a church family a moment for the Spirit of God just to move in our midst and, and just see if God wants to do something. And I don't want to manufacture anything. You can't manufacture a move of the Holy Spirit. All I want to do is just open the door that if, if, if God's Holy Spirit wants to work and you're wanting God's Holy Spirit to work in you, that we're going to open the door for that opportunity. Okay? So it's up to you. And then again, I've asked um, Dave and Shannon and Josh and Amber and Christine and Damien that if, if God puts you on their heart, and maybe it's just because you're standing in front of them, that if they can approach you and say these words, can I pray for you? Okay? If you're offended by that, just say, heck no, get out of here. No, just kidding. If you do that, we'll probably pray for you anyways. But we may just come and lay a hand on your shoulder and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Okay? So let's let the Spirit of God move as we worship. Let's right now begin to close our eyes and bow our heads. I want you to pray. Pray out loud. Nobody can hear you out loud. And begin to ask God for forgiveness. Repent of your sins. Ask God for deliverance. Ask God for healing. Ask God for that person in your life that doesn't know Jesus, that you want to know Jesus. 